Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are talking movies and we are talking a lot of movies. Uh, As all of you are aware, last week was Halloween on Thursday, and in regards to Halloween, uh, myself, my brother, my wife, my cousin, we were all trying to uh, watch as many Halloween movies as we could, both before Halloween and on Halloween. So I actually have 10 movies to talk about today, two of which are actually movies that I got to see in theaters, and so... As the title of this uh, uh, show suggests, those are The Current War and The Lighthouse, which, in my opinion, are two very different movies that I'll be discussing. And then we'll go briefly into the box office and and what I am now seeing as a huge complaint that I have with Box Office Mojo, as it sounds like, doesn't sound like, they have changed their website and it is terrible. So uh, let's jump right in. I will first, I'm going to discuss the Halloween movies that I saw. And then from there, uh, we're going to get into a couple of other little discussions about things that I've been wanting to talk about. So uh, in terms of movies, the first one that I, I saw, which was would have been a little earlier this week, was Van Helsing, which is the 2004 Stephen Summers movie by uh, written and directed by Stephen Summers with uh, Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale. And uh, this movie is, uh, it's an interesting movie for me. So... When I was younger, in 2004, I was obsessed, and I still am. I'm, I've always been obsessed. There's like a specific, and actually, what's interesting is there's a lot of of that to talk about in regards to everything today. So I'll just kind of dive into it. Uh, my favorite types of things, I guess you could say, like, uh, and you'll see when I say it, but are are like ancient Egypt, uh, conspiracy theories, scary, like monsters like ancient monsters um space the ocean basically like really vast big things that no one has all the answers to those are usually the things that i'm i'm obsessed with so uh at the time when around this time i had just watched the new mummy movie which was the brendan Fraser stephen summers movie not the tom cruise one uh and i loved it i was i was obsessed with it i bought the uh i bought the junior the novelizations of the mummy the mummy returns scorpion king league of extraordinary gentlemen van helsing and i feel like there was another one but all of those movies kind of came around and came out at the exact same time period like during that 2000 2005 sort of time and i just i couldn't get enough of those movies when i was younger because they had all the things i loved they had van helsing the wolfman frankenstein dracula the scorpion king um and then league of extraordinary gentlemen i mean at the time i didn't even know that it was and that's that's uh, kind of going to date me in regards to my comic fandom but i I did not even know League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was a comic book at the time. I know, I know. If that if that causes you guys to have the need to unsubscribe, I understand. I had no idea that Alan Moore had written League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I just thought, holy cow, this is an awesome movie with some really cool, uh, like a really cool miss. It's like the Avengers of scary movies. Like you had Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, um, Alan Quartermain. And uh, wasn't uh, Huck Finn in there or Tom Sawyer, I think was who it was, Uh, Dracula Vampires type stuff. It was just the coolest movie in the world. And I'm actually looking forward to rewatching it soon because um, 
I want to see if I remember it as fondly as I do because I just I I watched that movie in and out and I watched all those movies in and out including Van Helsing which I loved and so that was one of my favorite movies at the time like I said I read the book I would I had the I have the soundtrack on CD I uh, bought the video game and uh, that's just I and I'm looking here on the Metacritic score it's a 35 on Metascore with a 6.1 on IMDb so clearly I am in the minority of my love for Van Helsing but when I watched it I'll, I'm going to point out a few things I watched it on 4k because I bought it on 4k I wanted to see the transfer I would recommend just sticking with Blu-ray I did the same thing with the mummy and the mummy returns and I was not impressed and I thought I would be with Van Helsing and I wasn't there's some scenes where like any scene with a regular person was good you got to see the crispness sort of piece but when it came to the cgi it really made it look bad and then also there's a lot of darkness in that movie and so the blacks were it was a little tough to see and even on my huge tv and it could have been because it was a huge tv i have no idea but uh, i i gave that movie an eight so this movie has gone from a 10 to an eight uh, in its lifetime, most recently going from a 9 to an 8 after rewatching it. And again, that's because, like I said, when I was younger, I was obsessed with these movies. And I, in a way, I still am. The memories are fond. I love talking about these movies. But this is a it's a long movie. It's 2 hours and 11 minutes, but it still didn't feel that long. And for those of you that haven't seen it, this is just a movie about Hugh Jackman as Van Helsing. And he's going. he goes to Transylvania to kill Dracula and uh, there's, you know, hijinks ensue, and we get to the point where we find out that uh, Van Helsing has a past with Dracula, and uh, there's just a lot of really cool myth and legend in the movie, and the soundtrack, like I said, the soundtrack is, is actually by Alan Silvestri, so those of you who loved uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, he did this movie as well, and he did a really good job. It's got really good sort of guitar, like like sort of uh, guitar stuff on it. But that's all I'll say on Van Helsing because I know there's not a lot of fans of that movie. And I'm going to be making these little reviews that I do on these ones a little shorter just so that we don't have a very long episode of me talking about movies that are uh, 10, well, actually, that's 15 years old. That's That movie is 15 years old. I still remember. I remember going to see that movie in theaters. Uh, when I lived in Texas, I, we went to the Stonebriar Mall, and I bought the junior novelization, or it wasn't, it's not, I keep calling it a junior novelization, it's just the regular novelization by, I think, Max Allen Collins, and uh, I read that thing front to back, front to back, and then uh, went back to Stonebriar when the movie came out, went and saw it, and just loved it. I, and then that was a, was a movie that I tried to watch every, as much as I could, and especially on Halloween, and so it had been a while since I've seen it, so I wanted to watch it. The next one up is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? Uh, so come with us, and you will see in this town of Halloween. Uh, this movie is uh, one of my faves. And it is another movie that I was obsessed with growing up. My parents played this for me all the time because of how much we loved it. And so I know all of the lyrics to all the songs. I sing it all the time. It's one of those, well, you know how there's those songs that you have where you can't explain it, but just out of the blue, you start humming those songs. Most of the time for me, it's This Is Halloween in here or, you know, What's This? What's This? And uh, this has got Danny Elfman. It's, and what's interesting is it's directed by Henry Selleck. 
And then the story and characters are by Tim Burton, but the screenplay is by Caroline Thompson. So I was under the impression this was a Tim Burton movie. It isn't really a Tim Burton movie, as much as people would kind of want to say that it is, but it isn't. And in regards to it only, it actually got nominated for an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. Um, Tim Burton's not even associated with it. So I, I find that funny that people say that it's a Tim Burton movie when it really isn't. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces of it, like Catherine O'Hara's in the movie, who I love, and she's in a lot of Tim Burton stuff. But, um, no, so it's, and you guys, I guarantee you will probably all know about this movie. It's about Jack Skellington. It, and, and also it's a short movie. It's an incredibly short movie. It's only an hour and 16 minutes, but it's about Jack Skellington. He's a skeleton in Halloween town which is like a fantasy town in the middle of this place. He wanders into the forest and there's these doors on trees that take you to different holidays and he winds up in uh, Christmas town and he went into that forest because he's starting to get disillusioned with Halloween. He feels like he's been doing the same thing over and over and so he learns all about Christmas. He doesn't understand what it is but then he brings it back to the town to try and do a new tradition and no one gets it there either. They all are like oh you know oh does it he's like well this is a thing called a present. And the whole thing starts with a bow. A bow? But why? How ugly? What's in it? What's it? like there's you know they're, they're, they're questioning everything that he does and he's like you know listen now you don't understand that's not the point of christmas land and uh he, I, I love that i'm just oh man i'm sorry if, if i'm quoting too much of the songs but um it's a great movie it's it's a fun sing-along and it's it's one of those movies though you don't know whether it's a christmas movie or a halloween movie i will say after watching it when i watched it I think it's a Christmas movie, and the reason for that is because the movie, while the movie starts, like the first 15 minutes or so is probably, is Halloween, and then the entire rest of the movie is Christmas, it just takes place in Halloween, so he's prepping for Christmas, preparing, you know, the packages, the presents, and then delivering them all on Christmas, so to me, I think this is a movie that you shouldn't necessarily watch on Christmas Day, but kind of the movie that you could watch somewhere in the middle of December sort of thing, especially if you're a scary movie fan, you won't be bothered by the fact that it's, you know, it's it's a Halloween movie, because true scary movie fans watch scary movies all year long. Uh, next movie is Halloween. This is the 2018 Halloween with uh, the one by David Gordon Green, written by John, uh, or is based on John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and David Gordon Green, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, and James Jude Courtney. And uh, again, this came out last year. This movie's an hour and 46 minutes long. And for some reason, I like this movie. Like, I, I, I give this one a 7 out of 10. I think this is a good movie, but it is certainly not a great movie. And I'm going to tell you why really quick. So this is what they said is the actual sequel to the first Halloween movie. So when this movie was coming out, they started advertising that none of the other Halloween movies are canon, only the first movie and then this movie. And I hadn't seen the first movie. I didn't even watch the first movie before seeing this movie. I had seen the first one in the past, but been a long, long, long time. And so I didn't notice a lot of things in regards to it. But after watching the first Halloween a week or two before this one, I was really impressed with how true to the first movie this one stayed. The title cards were the exact same with the font, the neon orange. 
Uh, the there is even a scene in here in this in the babysitting scene. What was funny too, and I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but I also watched the Rob Zombie Halloween, and all three of those Halloween movies have a scene where somebody is babysitting somebody, and the thing is on TV. John Carpenter's The Thing is on TV. All three of the movies, it's insane. And the only way I recognize that is because of watching the first Halloween, because I think in Rob Zombie's Halloween you only see one scene of the thing. So if you didn't, if you don't you're not familiar with that movie you wouldn't have guessed that it was the thing but it is and so that was really cool to see and so this one takes place this is the reason they're saying it's canon is so it takes place 40 years after the original and um, Michael has been in an insane asylum the entire time. Lori Strode has been basically doomsday prepping her house in the woods to prepare for Jason's inevitable escape, which inevitably happens. And the most frustrating thing about this movie, well, there's actually there's two frustrating things. One of them is, and I'm gonna, I, I gotta, I gotta call him out. Uh, shots fired. This is gonna be. His name is Drew Sheed, S-C-H-E-I-D. He plays Oscar. He is horrible in this movie. He plays this really weird high school kid who, like, likes Lori's granddaughter but doesn't. And, like, I don't know, just his... He plays a character that I just did not find appealing at all. I found him to be really annoying. It was true the first time I watched it, and it was true the second time I watched it. But then you've got characters like Jabrail uh, Nantambu, who plays Julian, who's the little kid that um, Caroline, uh, Virginia Gardner, who plays Carolina Dean in Runaways, she uh, is babysitting him, and he is the funniest little kid in the world. He was so funny. I laughed my butt off in the theater, and I did it again when I was watching it this time. Um, so there's some really funny performances in here. Oh, and then a huge, huge call-out, worse Worse than um, worse than that kid is Toby Huss, who plays Ray, and that is the father. Which is so Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis. Her daughter is Judy Greer, who is married to this oaf. This this I, I'll call him a fool. I don't care. I'll say it. He is crazy. So like in the first scene you see him in the movie, he's like putting peanut butter on a sandwich, and I'm pretty sure he says, "Oh no, I got peanut butter on my penis." And he says it in such a way where if you couldn't understand if I said pants or penis, I'm pretty sure he says the latter. But then as he's going, he goes, I got to clean this off my pants. But he just, the lines that he says are so annoying to the point where uh, my brother almost walked out of the theater when we saw this movie when he said that because he's like, the way that he says it, it's just the worst acting of all time. And then we get to the end of this movie where again, guys, Michael escapes. Surprise, surprise. We, we, we get it. And Lori's like, all right, time to batten down the hatches. And so she battens down the hatches. The whole family comes over to batten down the hatches with her. And he walks outside. He hears a rust. He sees a police car pull up, which is Michael driving the police car. And he looks out the window. He's like, oh, cool. The cops are here. Walks outside. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you walking outside? Like, cause he's looking at this car and nothing's happening. And he's like, well, why is nobody coming out of the police car? Like, duh, no one's coming out of it because Michael killed them. And, and then beyond that, Lori herself, Lori Strode. And guys, I've stepped a little further away from the mic so I can properly explain and raise my voice in regards to this issue. Lori Strode built a, um, Guantanamo Bay Pentagon type cabin in the woods that to me appears impenetrable and she 
does everything that she can to not stay safe in this house. She's got a, um, like a, a counter, like an island counter, that when you press a button, it opens up, and you go down in the basement, the secret basement where you're safe. She goes down in there, and then they're like, Michael's here. She goes, okay, leaves. She, she leaves, tells her daughter, stay there, and then she leaves and gets attacked by Michael in the house, and it's like, oh, okay, you didn't see this coming, and eventually by the end, we find out, oh, she was planning this all along, and it's like, you know what, fine, if she was planning this all along, that's fine, but at the end of the day, if you've spent 40 years preparing for this moment, I would have easily, oh, so easily just stayed down there in the bunker, and you just listen for when Michael starts walking around upstairs, right, easy enough, then Michael goes, oh, what's going on? There's an island here. And he, he does in the movie. He starts breaking the island, which is like, okay, what was the point of this in the first place? He breaks the island. It comes off and he's standing. It's Michael standing above in the island with um, nothing else. So there's just a small window. It's not like it's not like they're outside. All you're looking through is like a sniper's scope of stairwells where Michael's standing. The daughter shoots Michael and he falls down into the basement. She runs out and then Lori like ends up trapping him in the basement and burning him alive. But he clearly gets away by the end of it. You don't see him get away, but there's a sequel coming out next year, guys. So he got away somehow. To me, I would have let him open it. And then I would have, and by the way, down in this this dungeon that Lori has, there's like 30 guns. So I would have set a table out with all of the guns. I would have loaded them all, cocked them all, and then Michael looks at me. Boom! I would have fired it. Bang! He falls down the stairs. Quick, honey, come on up the stairs. We're gonna we're gonna trap him. I would have said, "Sounds good, mom." gone up the stairs oh wait a minute i would have gone down to that table with all 30 guns shot all of the rounds into michael from the first gun second third all the way through 30 and then i would have gone upstairs who knows maybe i would have even cut off his head at that point to make sure that he's dead i don't know that's just me because if there was someone in my house a crazy person like that i would want to make sure that they can't come back and i understand that there needs to be sequels but there, there comes a point in everyone's life, there comes a point in every franchise's life like this where you have to kill the per- You have to. You can't just keep... You can't have 15 Friday the 13th movies, 15 Halloween movies or Nightmare on Elm Street movies where the bad guy continuously gets away because then you, have, you lose your faith in the main characters. So that's my biggest complaint with that movie. But other than that, it's still an enjoyable Halloween movie to watch. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I saw it again. Next up is Tales from the Crypt. This is a 1972 movie that's in the same vein as Dr. Terror's House of Horror. It's an older uh, British movie uh, directed by Freddie Francis uh, that stars um, such actors as Joan Collins, Peter Cushing, Ralph Richardson, and Jeffrey Baldon. So this is a anthology movie, much like Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. And that's one of my favorite ones of all time. I didn't get around to seeing it this year, but that's because I already watched it last year and I usually watch it every year. So I know the movie. I wanted to see some other ones. And I've seen Tales from the Crypt a lot too. But at this point, this is when, um, and we actually had a really good Halloween. So hopefully you guys all out there had a great Halloween as well. My brother came over to uh, our house and uh, we basically just gave out him, myself and my wife. We took turns giving out candy to trick-or-treaters. And we just uh, marathoned Halloween movies all night, which was awesome. So we started out by watching some Scooby-Doo 
and I had kind of been watching Scooby-Doo um, throughout the uh, the month, I guess you could say. But then I watched uh, watched a couple episodes of SpongeBob Halloween, and then we watched Tales from the Crypt, which he had brought over. So this is uh, the the uh, synopsis says: Five strangers get lost in a crypt after meeting the crypt keeper, receive visions of how they will die. So. It's a very, uh, very cool story. It's it's corny in parts, but the five stories are, um, and let's see if I can get them right because I'm not as much of a pro. Stevie is better at these, but the first one with Joan Collins, she is like not in love with her husband anymore, and she kills him with a poker. And at the same time, there's a Santa, a guy like a murderer, serial killer in a Santa Claus outfit who's been terrorizing the town. And so you like kind of hear it on the radio and stuff like lock your doors, yada, yada, yada. She obviously doesn't. The Santa gets in the house and gets to her daughter who's like, mommy, mommy, Santa's here. And it's like, oh no. And so the Santa kills her. So that's how she dies. And then um, the next one is a guy who uh, is cheating on his wife. And when he, he leaves to cheat on her with uh, the other female, they are, uh, they're driving in a car and he gets run off the road. Uh, and crashes into a tree like the car kind of explodes and he turns into like this zombie type ghoul uh, walking around and so everyone who sees him is like screaming and running away but it turns out he wakes up and he was just dreaming all of it in the car but then the car crashes again and it happens so it's like a vicious cycle it's kind of cool and then the next one was in regards to a sort of monkey's paw which is uh, the guy it's a guy whose wife finds this statue uh, that grants them three wishes. She wish, 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 woo! She wishes for more money, and the wish ends up being that the husband dies in a car accident, and she gets his insurance money. And she's like, "No, no, this isn't what I wanted." And so she says, "I wish that my husband was back here right before the accident." And so all of a sudden, a knock on her door. Uh, some pallbearers bring a coffin into the house. And let her know that her husband died of a heart attack before the impact in the car. So there we go. She's like, no, no, this wasn't right. So she says, I wish my husband was alive and breathing and walking around. And so he gets up and just starts screaming because the pallbearers put embalming fluid in him when he died. So he has embalming fluid in his entire body. So his body is literally burning alive. And that's the end of that one. So she has to kill her husband again uh, to put him out of his misery. And then um, the next one is a, uh, it's about this guy who hates his neighbor. Peter Cushing uh, is the neighbor. He's an old man named Grimsdyke. And my brother and I were laughing. We said this was the beginning of cancel culture. Uh, in cinema. So basically, this guy is like sort of the the hit of the town. All the kids love him. They go over to his house and he tells them stories and they laugh with him. And he's just an old, a lonely old man with a couple of dogs. And so it starts out with the guy reports his dogs as like a nuisance. So he gets his dogs taken away from him and that gets him really depressed. And then all of the, he like spreads rumors about to the other parents like, uh oh, maybe he's a child predator sort of thing. And so none of the kids are allowed over at his house. So now he's even more depressed. And then he starts getting letters that are like Valentine's Day letters, but the poems in there are all written by this guy. And they're all really mean, like roses are red, violets are blue, um, life would be great if everyone was alive except you. And that's not one of the poems, but the poems are really, they're really mean. And he, and then, so he hangs himself, he kills himself. 
and they have a funeral and everything and he's like ha 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 like good he got what he deserved and it's like oh no he didn't and so the guy actually comes back from the grave and kills him like kills the guy uh peter cushing and he does it in a really cool way where he gets back at him and gets him with a quick quip of a poem but it was a really sad it's a really sad piece of the story because this guy just wanted to have friends and just wanted to be nice and he got he got canceled by his next door neighbor and then the final story is about a guy who is running the um, he's running a old folks home for the blind, and the um, so they're all old blind people, and he's a really mean guy. He like won't give them extra blankets. They're very cold. They're hungry. Their food is terrible, and so by the end of it, they get back at him. And he has a dog. He's got a really mean German Shepherd. And so what they do is they trap him, or they they trick his dog with little bits of meat and track him into a closet in the basement and then they capture the guy and lock him in the other closet and then they're they're like ah they leave him in there for a couple of days while you hear building and and you know click clacking and all this stuff and the guy's like let me out let me out please just feed my dog and he's like oh no 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 like you're you know you're gonna get out in good time and so when he's allowed out he opens his door and he is they have now built a wooden sort of tunnel like uh, like a maze in the basement where he can only walk through this very narrow way of wood. But as he's getting through it, both sides of the wall are covered in razor blades. So he has to go through it very slowly. He keeps cutting himself. But when he gets to the other end of the tunnel, guess what's at the other end? His very, very hungry dog. And so he tries to run back through the razor blades and he's like, no. And so then the movie, that that's the end. And we find out that all, they're like, why did you tell us these stories? And the guy's like, oh, I was, you know, I told you that I was telling you what would happen like for your future, but no, 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 this is actually what happened to you. You're in hell and you're all five of you are in hell. And that's like the end of the movie. So it's this, it's a really cool, I don't know. I I find it a really good movie and it's just, it's identical to uh, Dr. Terrace House of Horrors because that's the exact same story premise is it's a five story anthology about five people and how they die. And the fact, the secret is that they were in hell all along. And uh, the next movie we watched was Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And if any of you know me at all, I am a huge Abbott and Costello fan. I, I have their box set of all of their movies, and um, they're just they're two of the funniest guys I've ever seen in all of movies. Then the reason for that is being I've seen this movie more times than I can count, and I watched it that, that night on Halloween night. And just was laughing my butt off constantly. Like Costello or uh, Abbott or no Costello. Costello is so funny. Their their slapstick humor is just hilarious. And the best part about this movie is not only does it have Frankenstein, but it has Dracula and the Wolfman. And Dracula is still played by Bela Lugosi, and the Wolfman is still played by Lon Chaney Jr. So it's it's a I mean it's just a classic show. I guess there's, you know, the story, it's not so much about the story as it is about the, uh, just the comedy within it, but Abbott and Costello are, um, they're like, I guess postage people where shipments come in and they, they deliver packages. And so the, the coffin for Dracula and Frankenstein come in and they have to deliver them to this house of horrors. And in doing so, Costello realizes, oh my God, they're alive. Abbott doesn't believe him. And uh, there's just hijinks ensue, and the, the main premise is that Dracula has come here 
to put a new brain in Frankenstein, a more docile brain that won't um, turn on him. And so the plan is to put Costello's brain in Frankenstein. At the same time, the Wolfman is coming as well to try and stop them. So that's the central story. It's a very short movie. It's only an hour and 22 minutes long. But like I said, it is hilarious. It is legitimately funny. Like I... All of Abbott and Costello's stuff is legitimately funny, but this is just a great Halloween movie because it's got that creepy crypt vibe, but it's also really funny, so it's it's a good laugh. And then the final movie that I watched, Halloween Night, was Halloween by Rob Zombie, and I was really excited to watch this because I had seen some stuff on Twitter that um, some negative opinions of this movie, and just like this is a horrible movie. This is a really badly made movie. No one wanted to know what makes Michael Myers the monster that he is. Like we just need him to be the monster. And I kept thinking to myself, well, then why is the Joker doing so good in theaters? Because isn't that the same thing, right? Aren't you finding out what made the Joker tick in the first place? And uh, so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna check this out. See if see if that's the case. And nope, not at all. I still love this movie. I think it's a great movie. It's not its not an Oscar winner by any means, and it's certainly not as good as the first Halloween, but it's still a really good look at what can drive someone to be so crazy. And I, I remember when I watched this when I was in high school, I was scared of this movie. And I think what's scarier about this movie is it's, it's two movies in one. It's a character piece about Michael Myers and how he became to be Michael Myers. And that story alone is scary. The abuse that he had to go through, the abuse his family went through, the murders that he did, just the the messed up situations that he had at school and home. You could see like, oh, wow, you know, that can drive someone to be kind of crazy. And so that part is really messed up and really disturbing in his Rob Zombie way. But then the second piece of it, which is literally it being a Halloween movie of him going around killing people, that part is super scary. And I personally, I like the fact that they made Laurie Strode, or is and I'm going to double check on the cast here, but um, and yeah, so it's written and directed by Rob Zombie. It's got yeah, Scout Taylor Compton plays Laurie Strode, Malcolm McDowell as Samuel Loomis, Tyler Maine as Michael Myers, and uh, Brad Dourif as Sheriff Lee Brackett. They um, they make Laurie his younger sister in this movie, and I like that. I don't like the way that they were portraying it in like the sequels to Halloween, but the way that this Rob Zombie movie is like a one movie sort of thing, it makes way more sense, and it makes total sense in that like he's coming back to look for his sister, and that part was really cool. I saw Halloween two not you know, during this time period, but I've seen it. That movie is not very good. That movie I didn't really like, but this first one is just such a good Halloween movie. The soundtrack is really good as well. And, um, I don't know. I just, it's when you're looking for Halloween slasher movies, I just personally feel like this time period was so good for them. We've talked about this before, but the, um, you know, Halloween Friday, the Friday, the 13th that came out right around this time. And the, um, yeah. So what Friday, the 13th, and the other one was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Those three remakes, I really enjoyed. I thought they were really good. They're not 
good in the sense of like, oh, you know, this should have been your favorite Halloween movie of the year. They're just, they're good for if you're looking for a slasher movie that you don't have to invest a lot of energy and brain power into, then yeah, these are really good and they're really fun to watch. So that was the perfect movie to round out my Halloween night. And those were all the Halloween movies that I watched. So from there, we're going to move into two other movies that I saw. And this is in regards to my second topic, which is um, the decade of 2010 to 2019. So as I've talked about, you guys, we here at Comics and Cinema are going to be putting out some very cool content for you guys towards the end of the year into next year in regards to movies, uh, I'm gonna attempt to do something comics related. Uh, it's probably it may not even happen. I just in terms of lists. So I will be doing, and I'm already started working. Heaven forgive me. On it is gonna be my brother and I have decided it will be the top our favorite movies of the decade and it will be a list of 50 movies so we are going to break that up the plan is to break that up into two podcasts one for the bottom 25 and then one for the top 25 and what's interesting is is him him and i met uh yesterday when we went and saw the lighthouse and uh, we were kind of going over it. I got to see his, and and so right now I'm at 52, and the the year is not over yet. I've gotten rid of some that I really regret getting rid of, and um, I've got some more on my list that I need to go through. But at the end of the day, I'm very confident at this list. And when I looked at my brother's list, I was extra confident because a lot of the movies on his list are the same. And um, there's some very different ones in there. I think he said that he only has one Marvel movie on his list. And I, I, at the time, I was at eight Marvel movies. But I have now made the distinction that I will not have more than one Marvel movie, Marvel Studios movie, in um, any particular year of that time to kind of, you know, uh, limit myself. And I've been doing that with a couple of other things. Originally, I was like, okay, I'm going to just do five movies from every year. But that's impossible because there's other years that had way better turnout than than the prior ones. But I want to stress this to you guys as it's coming, um, just so you're aware, because I, I always laugh when people make these lists of, uh, oh yeah, these are the best movies of all time. And it's like, dude, art is subjective. They don't, they're not, they're your favorite movies. So I have made certain, and I am making certain to tell you that these are my personal favorite movies. These are, these may not be Oscar winners. Some of them are Oscar winners, but for the most part, these are just the movies that I have seen the most times that I've loved the most that have a special meaning to me. So I'm really excited to go over this with Stevie because, um, it'll give us a chance to kind of go into our thoughts process of why we love these movies so much because you know it's funny because I didn't do I, I didn't do this back in the day so I didn't do this in 2009 um, I didn't think about it I wasn't as big of a movie guy at that point but I would have loved to have done a top movies of the decade from 2009 because there would have been movies in there like uh, Van Helsing and The Mummy Returns and Scorpion King which are not Oscar winning movies but they're just movies I love because of the content so um, in doing so there are some movies in my list that I thought to myself, okay, I have only seen this movie once. I need to make sure that this is a movie I want in my list. Or a movie in there that was like, okay, I gave this movie a really high rating. I wonder if that rating still holds up. I'm going to need to rewatch that movie. So to give you guys a heads up, a lot of the movies towards the end of this year that I will be talking about on this list will be movies that I'll be discussing in... Um, in the final uh, in the final list. So what I'm gonna do, 
And now that I think about it, actually, I am not going to talk about them in my in these episodes. I'll save it for that last episode. But I will talk about the ones that I watch and maybe remove from my list. So that first one is going to be Easy A, which uh, was a movie I loved. This movie, and so you'll you'll notice when my list comes out that there's there's a very specific types of movies that I like. Um, basically, like if it's a really good superhero movie, I love those. I like I said, I love movies about space, about the ocean, about monsters. Um, and also, though, I love female-led comedies and female-led, like, um, and I, I don't even know if you would call it a comedy because, like, a movie like Easy A to me is, it's a really good comedy, but it, it, it transcends that sort of comedy piece where the movie isn't made in the same vein that, like, eh, I guess so, I was gonna say, like, super bad, but super bad also has sort of, uh, cool topics that it's, that it touches on, and so Easy A is that same thing. I love female-led comedies, though, so there are a bunch of those in, um, there should be a couple if I'm remembering in my list, uh, but this one did not make the cut. I uh, this one's going to be. I gave it. I dropped it down from a nine to an eight. It's a great movie. It's a really funny movie. It's just not one of my top fifty favorite movies of the decade. And and not even joking, guys. I've got. There's. I probably had to weed through. Um, I'm at least thirty to forty movies per year that were in that top tier of eights or aboves, which are usually the ones that I want to watch over and over. So some of these movies are great. They just, they don't make the cut and you'll see because the ones that did are are very impressive. But this movie is by Will Gluck, uh, directed by Will Gluck and written by Burt Royal, which stars Emma Stone as Olive, Amanda Bynes, and then Penn Bagley and Dan Bird with great special guests of Thomas Hayden Church, Patricia Clarkson, Lisa Kudrow, Malcolm McDowell, and Stanley Tucci, and Fred Armisen. Uh, This is just a great movie about a high school girl who uh, makes up a lie that she um, slept with somebody and everyone then brands her a um, a, a hussy, I guess you could say, a tramp, a trollop. I I don't know what word you want to use for it, but you know how kids are in high school. And so she decides to embrace that and she actually sews the letter A, the scarlet letter, on um, on her dresses at school. And everyone, so it's kind of this story about how she's dealing with uh, that sort of bit about being in high school because she actually isn't doing these things with guys, but she's saying she is so that they get a boost. It's a, in a sense, a strange movie, but it's still from the, f- the female perspective of, of she, I guess, sort of feels empowered by it. And by the end of it, she, she makes a, some good calls and picks the right guy, a really nice guy. Um, but just overall, like I said, the movie is, is better as a comedy movie than it is about like, a good takeaway sort of movie i just always thought it was so funny because oh and ali machaka's in it from ali and aj hello i forgot to mention that she does a great job amanda Bynes does a great job it's just a bunch of really good performances that make that movie really really funny not so much the story involved though the concept is cool she's doing like a web a sort of web series where she narrates the story and uh, it was one of those movies where it was like Emma Stone before she became big. So that that was always nice to see with her. Uh, the other one that I watched, which is uh, we, wa- we all watched it just because uh, we wanted to because it was on HBO now. But um, it was MacGruber. And I'm going to tell you this much right now. MacGruber is still on the list. MacGruber is a 10 out of 10 for me. That is one of my favorite movies of all time. And every time I watch it, I'm like, yep, nope, nope, nothing's changed in regards to that. There's still some, there's some weird parts of the movie, but I can forgive it because the movie is just so drop dead funny. And, um, 
yeah, so it, it, I'm not going to talk much about it because that is going to be one on my top 50 list, so I'll dive into it more there. But just so you are aware, MacGruber is the other one that I saw. So with that said, that's going to wrap up the movies that I watched at home. And now we're going to move into the two movies that I saw in theaters. The first one is The Current War, Director's Cut. Whoa. This is directed by Alfonso Gomez Rayon and written by Michael Mitnick. And uh, it stars Tom Holland, Benedict Cumberbatch, and um, Michael Shannon, along with Nicholas Holt. And it's just the story of Thomas Edison fighting against George Westinghouse in the current war for who's going to kind of be the big person who transmits light everywhere. So the two things that I will say about this movie, because I, I, I thought this movie was okay. I gave it a 6 out of 10. This movie was supposed to come out in 2017, and it was pushed back, and then it kind of disappeared from theaters. And I can see why. This movie does not know what it wants to be in regards to its cinematography and kind of plot choices. There's a lot of really weird editing, but the story itself is interesting because I I was always obsessed with that time period. Nikola Tesla is one of my favorite sort of characters in American society, and uh, I think they did a really good job of portraying all of those people because, in my opinion, I was watching and I was like, I really hope they make Thomas Edison the bad guy because he really kind of was the bad guy at the time. Um, especially when you look at it versus Nikola Tesla. And they do. They make him out to sort of be a bad guy. And they make out Nikola Tesla to be exactly who he was and Westinghouse as well. It was a really good character drama in that regard, and I enjoyed it. The performances were great, but it just it was a weird movie. It kept it, it was like, oh, are they going to be focusing on this? Oh, I guess not. Then why did they talk about that for so long? I said that multiple times in the movie. And... Uh, it just, I, it felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be. And, and it was really sad in that regard because it could have been a really great movie in focusing on the misconceptions people have about Thomas Edison and that, oh, he's this holier-than-thou amazing person when in reality he really wasn't. He He's the one who, and they, they show it in this movie, he's the one who killed so many animals pr- trying to prove that the Westinghouse uh, alternating current was dangerous. So he's like, George Westinghouse is like, we're going to use alternating current because it's cheaper, it's better, and um, Thomas Edison's like, well, damn it, that sucks, like he's, you know, he's uh, he's going to steal my stuff, so he kind of goes, well, but did I tell you guys that alternating current uh, can kill? And everyone's like, wait, what? What's going on? Because, you know, it's that time period. No one knows anything about electricity. And so he's like, yeah. And so eventually they're like, well, you need to prove it. And so he like uses the electricity on horses, cows, dogs, elephants. And they do this weird uh, sort of montage showing it that is just, it doesn't show any of them die, but it just shows the animals. And it was kind of weird. And then to that point, they go, oh, well, what if we use it on humans? And so it was just like, yeah, Edison didn't, he wasn't like, doing it out of evil but at the same time kind of wasn't he wasn't he essentially the original headline media headline grabber like that's a that's a clickbait article if i've ever seen one (gasps) alternating current it uh it kills animals and so um that that whole thing was real i'm glad that they discussed that he also fired nikola tesla which was you know he was a fool for doing so because nikola tesla was a brilliant futurist and they show that in the the movie as well but yeah, other than that, it was it was enjoyable. I, I don't regret going to see it. It just I wish it had been better. And so what I'm I'm so 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 excited to talk about today, and the I saved the best for last, the lighthouse. 
Oh man, The Lighthouse. I have been looking forward to seeing this movie since I saw it in theaters. Or, whoop, since I saw the trailers for it. This is a movie that is directed by directed by David Robert Eggers and written by Max and Robert Eggers. And it is a phenomenal movie. It is, stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson along with two other people in the movie who are only in it very briefly and only one of them is on IMDb. The movie is only about Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. They are, I'm just going to read this from IMDb, the hypnotic and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Uh, this movie is already in my top five for the year. It is going to be on my top fit. It should be. I'm, I will see as the year goes on, but it's going to be on my top 50 favorite movies of the decade. This movie is just, I, I can't say enough praises about it. It's phenomenal. It was so good. The movie is about, so this, it, it, it's filmed in black and white and it's on a different aspect ratio. So on the screen, it's a square uh, much like the movie uh, Ghost Story, which was also an A24 movie, funny enough. But uh, yeah, and it's produced by A24, so you know there's quality there. But uh, they they go to this island, this rock that just has a lighthouse on it. And Willem Dafoe is the old sort of ship guy. Uh, he's a mix between, he's a, just a grimy old sea dog. And then Robert Pattinson is sort of the younger sea dog. And the coolest thing about this is they... Uh, and I'm going to see if I can pull up exactly it on the trivia on IMDb. But they... I mean, there's craziest stuff in here. They filmed under extreme weather conditions. They, It says, uh, Defoe and Pattinson stated that they barely spoke a word to each other on set and were too exhausted to hang out together after a day of shooting because filming was so physically demanding due to the miserable weather conditions. While Pattinson stayed at a normal hotel with the rest of the film crew during the shot... Defoe lived in a little fisherman cottage in solitude. On set, on the other hand, Pattinson would tend to eat and stay by himself in filming breaks while Defoe stayed with the crew. Both stated that they liked each other very much as soon as they had their first real conversation a few months later. Uh, it just, they, uh, and this is where it, no, 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 they're talking about the filming here. But essentially, they pulled quotes and sort of the, um, the the dialogue from the 1890s so they utilized uh yeah here it is found it okay for dialogue inspiration the brothers read the works of melville stevenson and more consulting 19th century slang and nautical dictionaries for concise jargon defoe's character is prone to articulate soliloquies in the style of shakespeare and milton for naturalistic dialogue, the Eggers brothers turned to the works of Sarah Orne Jewett, a Maine-based poet and novelist, best known for her work set on the eastern seaboard. And uh, it's it's insane. So there's some quotes here too. He the way that they talk is just he. There, my favorite scene in the movie is they're at the point where like they're they're cracking and so this whole movie is filmed on in this lighthouse just the two of them they're staying there for a full month and there's just this continuous building dread between the two of them that they're going crazy especially robert pattinson one of the most beautiful things that i i caught in the film was at the very beginning he is very anti-alcohol they they're sitting down to eat he doesn't want any of the alcohol he says the handbook says they're not allowed to eat, drink any alcohol by the end of the movie he is chugging alcohol 
and they make a clear point to show that uh, that growth it's not even really growth more like a devolution throughout the entire movie of him slowly drinking a little more as he goes into madness and there's a really great scene my favorite one in the movie is uh, and spoilers for anyone who doesn't want to hear anything i'm going to try to keep this as spoiler free as possible i told this to my my brother but the movie is you can't really spoil this movie it is it is a movie about two men trying to survive for a month and maybe even longer uh going crazy and there, yes, there's some spoilers in the ending, which I will not reveal. But in terms of like what people say, the dialogue, there's no spoiler there unless you really don't want to hear how they talk. But uh, him and Pattinson towards the end are getting into this huge argument. Pattinson has had way too much to drink, and he's complaining about all the food. And he's and uh, uh, Willem Dafoe's like, you didn't even like me, lobster. And he's like, all oh, your food, like all oh, your food is trash. And he he gets up, and I I gotta I gotta step back a little bit from the mic here just to try and do this. But he gets up and he goes, and and again, this is in black and white. The camera angle is at a sort of sort of low shot, so that it's filming up at an angle to kind of give Defoe that sort of grandiose look. But in doing so as well, the shadow work, being that it's black and white, has so many shadows on his face that he looks like a sea demon. And he goes, "Damn ye! Let Neptune." Tune strike ye dead, Winslow. Hark! And when he says hark, the lightning strikes and thunder rattles the room, and he keeps screaming, Hark! And then he starts going on this just. There are multiple scenes, and by multiple, I mean at least more than five, where both Pattinson or Defoe get into these soliloquies where he's like may the may the tides bring your body down and neptune's trident strike ye into the barrels of the ground so that nothing not even your skin and your thought is but one with the sea and he's like screaming and pattinson goes all right fine i liked your lobster (laughs) it was so like it's just it's like i said i i have to go see this movie again i need to go see this movie again the 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 metaphors in the movie the symbolism the there's these quick shots that blink if you miss it of just the craziest things i mean if you've ever wanted to see a descent into madness robert pattinson kills it if you want to see what your next batman is like when he gets incredibly upset at somebody or needs to fight somebody you're going to get to see that in this movie. This movie to me is a message to everyone that not just Kristen Stewart made it out of Twilight alive. Robert Pattinson did as well. And and again, yeah, you can argue that he did so in his other movies, High Life, Good Time, whatever you want to say. But this movie to me, if I had it my way, I would nominate both of them for Best Actor Awards. No questions asked. Both of them put in their all in this movie in more ways than one. And uh, I, I just can't speak highly enough of them and highly enough of Robert Eggers. He's the one who made The Witch. And I really hope he explores some other new time period when he makes his next movie, inevitably makes his next movie. Because I, I, I will be surprised if this movie is not nominated for something come Oscar season. A24 does a pretty good job of getting their movies into the runnings. But, um, you know, in my opinion, the movies I always think should win or nominate get never get to. So who knows? Maybe I'll be off. But if I could pick, this movie would get many of the awards because it is just a harrowing journey. It is so just isolating and traumatic and suspenseful. So if you've got time, check out The Lighthouse. 
Um, if you're thinking about going to see Current War, maybe go see The Lighthouse instead because it is worth it. It is so worth it. And and more so to see it in theaters, to see it in that film ratio. It was just, it, I mean, and the people who were in the theater with me, just getting that experience with them of, I felt like I was tense almost the entire movie. And the movie's only an hour and like 50 minutes, I think. It's it's not, uh, um, yeah, how long is it really? It's an hour and 49 minutes and I was about to break into, and you know, you know I'm gonna, I was gonna break into another quote by uh, uh, Willem Dafoe, which was, how long have we been on this rock? Five weeks? Two days? Help me to recollect. And uh, he, like, oh, it's just, it's a bad, you know it's bad. I'm going to go through these and see if anyone put any other ones on here. Why'd you spill your beans? That one was really good. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living, just like any man. Start anew, on the run. It, uh, why'd your last, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, oh, here it is, guys. You... Guys, you have a treat. So here's what I'm going to do in regards to comics and cinema. This is a treat. I'm going to do my absolute best in this impression. And uh, I apologize if this... What I'm going to say now is th- this is the end of this comics and cinema episode. If th- those of you who would like to go into this movie, spoiler free, thank you so much for listening. You can stop this. For those of you who would like to hear the full... Uh, the full dialogue, the full soliloquy of his Neptune rant. I'm going to do it for you right now because they have it here on IMDb. This is brilliant. And again, it's not a spoiler. It doesn't reveal anything about the movie. There's nothing in it that does it. But if you're wanting to go into this movie, like me, seeing this scene with the widest eyes possible, going, holy crap, give Defoe an Oscar, uh, then, yeah, like I said, pause this, come back later and see if maybe I said it weirder than he did, which I probably did. So, um, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening. And now for Thomas Wake. You're fond of me lobster, ain't you? I seen it. You're fond of me lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Damn ye. Let Neptune strike you dead, Winslow. Hark. <laughs> Hark, Triton, hark, bellow, bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths, full foul in his fury, black waves teeming with salt foam, to smother this young mouth with pugnant slime, to choke ye, engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine, and can scream no more only when he, crowned in cockle shell and slithering tentacle tail, and steaming beard take up his fell befitted arm, his coral tine trident screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet burst in ye, a bulging blacker no more, but a blasted bloody film now, and nothing for the harpies and the souls of the dead sailors to peck and claw and feed upon only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. Forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff for part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is now itself the sea. All right, have it your way. I like your cooking. 
And that will do it for comics and cinema. So thank you all for listening, and why'd you go and spill your beans? <laughs>